Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday mornings come around again, and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening. Hey everyone, great to be with you again on this Saturday morning. We have Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. filling in for Faye today and you can call through right now till 10 o'clock, 94841927. And you can email us, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. A lot of people are choosing to contact us that way. It's easy to get through as well. And a big shout-out to our dynamic duo, Chris Bartlett, Mark Carlton, for setting a cracking pace this morning. And I want to thank Chris. He sets up our studio every Saturday before we come in, and he has everything absolutely perfect for us, ready to go. It makes makes everything uh, very, very easy just to slide into our chairs and away we go. Love that about Chris Bartlett. And you can catch Chris again tomorrow night after 9pm till midnight. Big shout out to our cycling DJ as well, Jim Crinan, uh, for his update just now. And Jim will return at 10am with the classic 70s. Something to look forward to. Linda, it's been a while. How are you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, very well. Thank you for trekking in. You've got quite a long drive, don't you? Uh, Yeah, well, I live in the hills, so it's it's all downhill. It's all good. Yeah, Yeah, get down on the flats often, do you? (laughs) There's always that differentiation, isn't there, between the hills and the flats, which I enjoy. Yeah. 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 But I love love up in the hills, and uh, in a perfect world, I'd live up there myself. I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's like everywhere. Mm. There's advantages and and disadvantages. Yeah, so so right. You guys have had some fire issues, haven't you? Yes, yes. As you do in your your area. Yeah. little culprit got caught didn't he yes that's uh put a few people's minds at rest i think up yeah because so. he was just running around lighting fires yeah yeah to put it sad. in a very broad sense mm. yeah okay very mm. very sad they just don't understand the damage that they're doing the lives they're threatening and mm. i always think about animals absolutely that's that's the that's the knife in my heart when there's a fire oh uh, yeah absolutely so we're chatting this morning we've got a couple of really nice guests Faye's down and having herself a little weekend away at a, her grandmother's birthday. I think there was a 100th birthday something, celebration. Something, something huge like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're speaking to Fiona Thompson. Now, Fiona's a garden designer and she's going to be talking to us today about engaging a landscape designer. Have you ever thought about it? What's required? Uh, how, how to go about it? And what the differences are? And uh, also talking about there's free garden design consultation opportunities coming up at the Perth Garden Festival. So that's happening at 20 past eight and at five past nine. We're chatting with Claire Palmer. Claire is a horticulturalist. She works at Xanthoria Nursery a few days a week. She tells me that's her absolute dream job. She loves natives and she's going to give us a few tips about the perfect eucalypt to plant in your backyard and also gardening for the planet because she's going to talk about the types of comments that she receives when customers come in, what it is they're looking to achieve and why and how to go about that. And, you know, just some misconceptions as well. So there are two great subjects coming up today, taking uh, your calls. And we've got a few emails to 
to get through as well, quite a few. And uh, how did we enjoy that rain last night? Well, it was lovely. Heaven. Yeah, up our way. It was pretty steady. You really got a decent... It drop. wasn't super heavy, but it was steady. Just, and that's and that's nice. the good rain, isn't it? It, is. it just keeps coming. Yep. Please let it keep going. <laughs> I'm absolutely delighted. I just think everything needed water. Everything needed a wash. All of, a bit of a wash, <laughs> yeah, including us. Uh, Katie of Mandra uh, is asking, is it too early to plant sweet peas? I can answer that. No. And can you suggest a product to improve sandy soil in Mandra? What a great well, what question. a great question from <laughs> the soil lady herself. Definitely, uh, sandy soil really needs the structure improved mm. uh, to be able to hold on to water and nutrients. Really, so uh, if you are going to be replanting, it's the perfect opportunity to get some clay in there. Uh, there are a number of different products on the market and if you go into a good garden centre and perhaps you could even take a, a small. We don't need a much like a. A couple of cups, I suppose, in an ice cream container of your soil so that the nursery staff can have a look at it and they'll be able to recommend probably a couple of different products that you could use to incorporate through and it will make a huge difference to the yeah, structure. To yeah. And you only need to do it once. Yeah, that's that's the beauty, isn't it? Because mm. a lot of products you do have to reapply, reapply. Yeah. Isn't it great that you make that investment, you amend yes. your soil with the clay. Yeah. And it's done forever. Yes. Yeah. So right. it is an outlay. It is. But it's it's, it's an investment. Definitely worth yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So all right. Well, we've we've got all of that for you, Katie. Go ahead and plant those little sweet peas, uh, which uh, we all we all love, and uh, just had lovely fragrance and colour come spring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a bit soft when it comes to sweet peas. Um, I've got a couple of emails here. We'll do a couple while we're just waiting for a couple of calls to come through. Uh, this came in from Jeannie Napier and she's saying that for what it's worth, this is about roses and chili thrip. I don't know how, how much comment you get in your gut where you are about this sort of problem. Uh, I cut the tips off my roses that were infected with chili thrip and soaked the tips and actually drowned the chili thrip in a bucket of water. She left it overnight and she could, says she could see the tiny thrip squirming around and dying. <laughs> I then put the cuttings in a plastic bag and left out in the sun. Hopefully this has helped my roses. Yeah, definitely. Solarising them and leaving them out in the sun is a good idea for a lot of different bugs and diseases because yeah. things can't usually cope in that hot, humid environment. Yeah, you the finish them plastic. for good. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And hopefully it'll definitely knock the numbers if because the chili thrip congregate on the fresh new tips. So if they you've do. done that, you'll hopefully knock the numbers considerably. And if you monitor it, then you can look at other treatments if you have to. But hopefully you've you've given them a good good chance. Yeah, I mean the rule of thumb at the moment, she's saying that she's actually cut the infection off. They're saying not to cut it off. That's uh-huh. the latest. However, big simply because then the rose goes about creating new fresh growth and the chili thrips say thank you very much. <laughs> and I was talking to Rob Melville last weekend about chili thrip from Melville Rose Nursery and he said anything above 38 the chili thrip cannot survive but I said well what are the conditions for it to survive in he said under 38 down to 4 degrees oh, which is pretty yes. well yeah, everything. everything and yeah. it's like oh thank you yeah so that's <laughs> that that's obviously uh, they can survive uh, in, in in fairly normal conditions and here's another one we received from Julie Gay Coulter and she says her local kangaroo has snapped off her frangipani and how does she go about striking it? 
Uh, well, the take a piece and remove the leaves and, and let it sit. I think the, the rule of thumb is sort of at least a month and because it needs to heal over. If yeah. you put the cutting directly into a pot or into the soil straight away, you will tend to, to have it rot. Mm. So once it's healed over, then the put it into a pot and you leave it basically. Yeah. Leave it alone and once it starts to put out new growth, yeah. then you know it's going to on its way absolutely and then you can start watering it yeah yep. yeah that's right that you don't actually water it over that period that's right and yeah. of course frangies are really late this year with their flowering mine have only started flowering in march wow. uh, and a, a lot of people apparently are in the same boat so whether that's something to do with the long winter that we had last year um, however they will be looking at going into their dormancy during the middle of this year won't they yes, so yes yeah, yeah. Just, just, just leave them. Don't water them. Just yep. let them do their let thing. Them do their thing, and hopefully yeah. you'll be rewarded with lots of new growth coming through. Such, spring. such tough things. Yeah. Uh, Frangies are. I, I have a newfound passion for them. Actually, I'm just uh, in awe of the colours and the varieties. And yeah. uh, I'm on the West Coast Frangipani Facebook page, and just keeps. It's just like uh, in your face. Uh, colour so all the many. time. So I know, colors. I know. You could buy 10 acres and just have frangies. <laughs> uh, Rosemary of Warwick phoned in and she wants to plant out native ground covers from small pots. Does she jiggle the roots before planting and can she put slow re release fertiliser in the holes? Well, the thing about teasing the roots out from a pot uh, of is there are conflicting opinions about it uh, but generally mm. yes it is a good idea mm. because it frees up the external roots so that once it is in the planting hole they they're, they're freer I suppose mm. to get out into the loose Makes friable sense. soil around mm. them uh, so I would generally do it yes you can also get an opportunity to see if it is root bound or you know if you have a good look at its yeah, roots. Yeah, absolutely, and make sure there's no bugs or anything like that in the you know in the roots. So yes, I would say that's what I would do. And yes, you can certainly add some slow release. It's not a bad idea to put some kind of uh, soil improver into the planting hole as you go, and that means as it gets its little feet in and gets established, it'll get away to a good start. And of course, autumn is a perfect time to be putting native plants in. Yeah. Yeah, they'll get established over winter and through the cooler months, yeah. and they'll be a lot stronger come the heat of next summer. Yeah, quite right. Okay, we're heading to Osborne Park. Oh, we're talking about a huge <laughs> cactus. Ooh. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning, how are you? We're well, thank you. That's good. Look, I've been in this place for 22 years and um, previously there was some um, and, um, cacti and they sent up a brat that went up about 20 feet in the air and then it flowered. But they only grow, grew about um, five feet or something high and sent up this break. Once the flowers died, the whole plant died. Now, this massive one I'm talking about, it's, a, it's taller than the house practically. The break that's gone up for it, and that's the first time this has flowered in all the time I've been here. And I'd say it was about 20 years old when I got here or sat home. Can you tell me what type of cactus it is? And it's got this huge break growing up off it. It's I'm just dying for it to open. Also, will this die after this flowers? Oh, what a good question. Uh, it would be fabulous if you could get some photos. I think so. We need a photo, because, Lorraine. Yeah, to yeah. be able to. I've got a photo. Fabulous. Well, so if what? you can email it through. 
All right. Um, wait a minute, I'll get your email number, love. Okay, you got a pen there, Lorraine? I have. Okay, it's gardening. Yes. At Curtin FM. Garden. Sorry. Okay. At Curtin FM. And a curtain is spelled C U R T I N. I am, yeah. Curtin FM dot com dot AU. Dot com dot AU. Send it through oh, and we right. can it'll help us enormously. It's fascinating, ladies. And as I say, I've been here 22 years. I reckon it was at least 17, 20 years when I came. And that's why I was wondering. Um, It's, you know, like it's a one-off. I don't know. But, yeah, I'll send a photo in. I'm dying to hear the answer. Awesome. Thanks, Lorraine. Cheers, ladies. Take take care. Cheers for that. Thank you. All right. And let's head to Girawine. We've got Philomena. Good morning, Philomena. How are you? Hi, hello. How are you, lady? Good. You'd like to talk about Brussels sprouts? Yes, yes. So can you tell me, I've already got the seedlings, you know, they're about, say, four inches high in a, in a pot. Mm-hmm. I basically bought a packet of seedlings from Rejection, you know, just in a shop, and uh, read the instructions in the back, and I said, what the heck, I'm just going to put it in the soil anyway. Yeah. And it came up in about three days' time. Good. <laughs> yeah, so I need to know now. What do what, I do? What's do next? I plant it? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Brussels sprouts right. are definitely fun to try, but they yeah. really love the cold weather. Yeah. So and they they're quite yeah. slow. They mm. they do take quite a, a a few months, a good few months to right. develop. Okay. And sometimes, depending on where you are in Perth, they may mm-hmm. be a disappointment to you because it's a bit borderline how cold it will be and whether they'll start to develop the little sprouts, which actually grow up the stem. <laughs> they're they're pretty cool the way they grow. Uh, yeah. We have had some success in the hills, and I think people in the hills, if it does get a bit colder, um, can grow right. them. But right. it, it is one of those things. It's worth a shot. Am I talking to Linda? Yes, that's right. Yep. Uh, hello, Linda. Hi. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm drawing the drawing the thing, you know, in the soil. And so while you're talking, I'm just, uh, you know, drawing the the plant and I just said it's like a cabbage isn't it a yes, little it is. sprout yes so huh? it will grow yeah. up on a taller stem and it will have bigger leaves uh, at the top uh, but it, yeah. it forms small little brussel sprouts up the stem and in the leaf bases as it grows and you can harvest them uh-huh. as how they tall form. can I expect it to grow Linda well <laughs> probably at least half a meter to you know 75 centimeters depending on how long yeah. it's in the ground for how good right. the soil is and how well it's kind of looked after. Um, they will grow up reasonably tall. So but... what would you suggest? I put it in a big form, uh, you know, you get these big form uh, containers or just do up the soil in the garden and it needs full sunshine? Yeah, it will do better with full sun for sure. Um, okay. You will need, it's, it's, it's a bit tricky at the moment if we're having 36 degree days, they mm, won't love I that. So, um, <laughs> I'm intrigued. They do need a bit of space. So if you're going to use those foam boxes to grow them in, I probably would allocate no more than two plants per box. You'd be better off with one per box. And the soil? What about space? Yeah, some good fertile soil. They are a brassica, so in the same family as your cabbages and your cauliflowers and your broccoli. And they will do better if you have some compost or some aged manure and a bit of blood and bone, all of those things to promote healthy growth in the soil. So just get a bag that has an all-purpose fertilizer. Yes, that's right. Yeah, hmm? soil okay. improver of some kind. 
All right. Okay. So it's basically a winter crop, isn't it? Definitely a winter, a winter crop. crop. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank Good luck. So Good much. luck with that, Philomena. Yeah. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you. You too. You. Cheers for that. Can I just repeat the email? Is is that gardening at curtainfm.com.au? You've got it. And all lowercase? Yes. All right. Thanks, uh, Ray. Okay. Not a problem. Bye. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Cheers. Cheers for that. Okay, 94841927, if you would like to call through. On the other side of the break, we will be chatting with Fiona Thompson, garden designer here in Perth, and a very, very good one. Curtain Radio. 23 minutes after 8, we have special guest in the studio with us this morning, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. in the chair for Caro, and thank you very much. Oh, you're we really appreciate it. Now, as promised, we are going to be chatting with Fiona Thompson. Fiona's a garden designer here in Perth, and uh, from what I can ascertain, she's done a lot of designs all around the country. Uh, and she's going to just give us a little bit more insight in what is required to be a landscape garden designer. Fiona, good morning. You're with Ray and Linda. Good morning. How are you? We're good. How you? <laughs> yeah, after that little bit of rain, huh? Wasn't it wonderful to wake up and hear rain on the roof? Oh, gee, bliss for me anyway, and certainly I'm sure for our, our gardeners. But uh, I'll let Linda take the conversation over. Uh, we're very, very keen to ha- have a chat with you and just see what is involved in uh, being a landscape designer and the differences between yeah. a landscaper and a and a and landscape designer, which they are very quite different. different yeah, they, they are. Well, occupations. My understanding is, but I guess we'll let Fiona, do you want to lead with that one? Like, um, yeah, tell us what a sure. landscape designer does. Well, uh, a landscape designer, um, and I can, you know, speak from my own experience, is someone who puts together um, all the data uh, relating to a site, the physical data, you know, the, the microclimate, the uh, the soil type, the hydrology, um, all of those um, inputs plus the client's brief, you know, their wish list of the things that they would like to include, how they'd like to use the space and synthesises it all into a design which includes the spatial layout um, you know, as in what will go where, but also how the space will flow so that you get maximum use, um, nothing is wasted, and the whole thing, you know, ought to be beautiful as well. So there's there's a few guiding um, principles of design and elements of design that you would use to create that sort of a space. Um, but what we then need is someone to construct it. Now, if you're mm. like me, um, I figure that's what we have young people for. And so... Yeah, good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> I engage landscaping companies to to build my designs to turn them into a reality. So mm. these are people with, um, you know, often a wide range of uh, skills and, you know, many of them are you know, craftspeople in their own right in terms of what they can build, how they can adapt on site because, you know, turning a uh, a plan from a piece of paper into a 3D reality sometimes throws curveballs. Mm. And um, my experience is that, that landscapers and, and construction companies are very clever people um, 
and uh, and you know thoroughly lovely. You know, I've I've really enjoyed working with them all. Sure. What, what's the benefits then, Fiona, of uh, say for our listeners thinking about it, if they were to engage a landscape designer, how does it benefit them? Um, often. You know, changing or creating from scratch uh, uh, a garden is quite a significant financial outlay, and yeah. you know, not many people want to do it repeatedly. So mm-hmm. it's more a case of doing it uh, right and doing it once. So um, talking to a designer can help you pull together all these different uh, aspects of not only the site but also your brief, your budget. Um, and and synthesising it into a coherent, uh, workable plan that's you know going to be something beautiful that you can look at for many years to come, yeah. but also to use for many yeah. years to come, and if necessary, to evolve. Exactly. Your needs change. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes I I had a garden put down a couple of years ago, Fiona. And sometimes plants don't work in a certain position, or oh, no. I might not like them, or something is growing and its ta- and its canopy is larger than I thought it would be. And you yeah. have to sort of tweak here and there. And there's you know trial and error, but the structure is there. The, the actual layout is always there to work on and to work with. Not that I want to tamper with it very much, but sometimes the odd tweak here and there has to be done. It could be to do with our wretched summer that we've just been through, uh, yeah. uh, which has been punishing. Uh, yeah, but um, is it expensive to, to employ a, a designer? Um, it can be. Um, everybody's business model is slightly different, um, and so... Landscape designers, um, they are professionals, so mm-hmm. you know they are uh, entitled to charge a, a reasonable fee for this, but um, some charge by the hour, some it's a fixed fee that they calculate. Um, it varies mostly depending on the size and scope of the project, you know, what you want to include, mm. the sorts of materials that you'd like to finish with, and yeah. whether you're happy to start with small tube stock plants or yeah. whether you want, you know, to be putting... Instant, instant garden. That's yeah. Instant yeah. garden, yeah. correct. Yeah. So um, there, is a, there is a financial outlay. There's no getting around that. But uh, what it does is it creates a set of blueprints, essentially, that you can work from. And you don't necessarily have to build the whole thing all at once. It could be staged, mm. but certainly the contractors, the construction uh, landscapers are going to need plans to work from. And yeah. if you're choosing to DIY, then you're going to need plans as well. Yeah, so for example, you could create the design and then maybe the, uh, the listener for in this example could then what follow that plan and, and do it themselves. Uh, they could. Again, it would depend on the, the scope of the project. Yeah, um, of course. But, you know, simple structures yeah. could could potentially be done by someone who's, could who's a little bit handy. Do yeah. their own planting and yeah. things like that. But for hardscaping oh, and that, you need professional yes. people. Yeah, when it comes I, to... I, yes. I think if you want to um, make it last, then you... Have a, have you a know, good finish. You really ought to result. engage people who, who know what they're doing. Yeah. Correctly. 
Okay, no, that's that's good. That's good information. Yeah, I think it's, mm. I guess, uh, akin to uh, if you need a house built, you need both an architect and a builder. It's exactly so the same, isn't it? Exactly the yeah. same. And I know yeah. that many gardeners, and I've been guilty of this myself sometimes, if you're planning a new garden, the first thing you think of is, oh, I'll just go down to the nursery and have a look at the plants because, let's face it, that's that's the fun part <laughs> that's, for everybody. That's the bit we love. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's tempting yeah. to do that and go in and choose what's there in front of you on that day and think, oh, yes, that'll be lovely, that'll do this. But, but then you take those plants home and plonk them in and then you go back in a couple more weeks and find something else that you like the look of and you plonk those in. And what mm. you can end up with is something then that's probably not going to match the vision that you may have originally that's had right. in your head. So I I would imagine that getting a designer on board at the start, even if it is just for a planting guide, to help Mm. you figure out what's going to work well, because we've all had that experience too of taking things home and putting them in and it's been the wrong spot, the wrong plant for the wrong spot. Uh, Joy joy being a gardener. Absolutely. So they will help you plan that out from the first instance and that's where it can definitely save you money and heartache by, as Fiona said, you can stage it. So you can have the designer come up with what you may plant in a particular area. And then that also gives you the opportunity to shop around for those plants and possibly order them in. And if you're talking a large quantity, you can get a better price. So there's definitely potential for it to save you money in the long run. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so Fiona, oh, sorry, I just interrupted you. Carry on. No, 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 go on. All right. Um, You're, you will be at the Perth Garden Festival. There'll be a Walder stand, which, of course, Walder means the Western Australian Landscape Designers Association. You'll be down at the Perth Garden Festival this year? Yes. We are putting together a design clinic where um, some of our designer members will uh, be there to um, have appointments with with people who'd like to bring in, um, you know, site plans or photos and Ooh. sit with them and have, you know... A uh, bit of a consult. A with them. Yes, yes. You know, you can't achieve a full, you know, no. um, brief in, in the, the 20 minutes, half an hour, but can certainly point people in the right direction and perhaps help them get started um, on, that, on that journey so that um, they can make some good choices and invest their money, you know, wisely. Wisely. And so if people are interested in coming along, do, how do they how do they find a little bit more out and do they have to book a time with, with Walder or how will that all yes. work? We, we will have a um, scheduling um, app running where people can book a time slot that suits them with a designer of their choice. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That's... that's in the pipeline, but you know mm. we'll be spreading um, the the link as soon as it's uh, up and live. Um, you can, we will be taking walk-ins, but um, you know they they may have to fit around existing appointments. Exactly. But absolutely, we will try and accommodate anybody who would like to sit and have a chat with one of our designers. Nice uh, service that you're providing. Uh, nice, yeah. I can imagine that that will, is going to go extremely well. So, um, was there anything that people you would ask people to bring with them if they want to have a proper consult and get the most out of it? What would they need to bring? I think if they can bring an overall site plan, yeah, um, that's that's roughly to scale, um, and perhaps uh, a wish list of the you know the things they would like to include, including you know 
plants that uh, that appeal to them, and then we can have a chat about you know whether they're going to suit the site mm-hmm. um, and, and the intended purpose, um, and you know a few images perhaps just to help us. Um, understand the space that they're referring to. Yeah, and so what sort of projects are you involved in at the moment, Fiona? Uh, Myself, I am doing several rural projects at the moment, which Mm. is lovely because I'll take a chance to escape the city. Um, Some of them are renovating existing gardens. Mm. Um, Others are, you know, starting from scratch, talking to the builders and the building designers so that, you know, the, the living spaces and the garden spaces flow seamlessly right from the get-go. Mm. That's actually an interesting point. If you are looking at building, it's often mm. great to engage a landscape designer at the, at the very early exactly. stages because uh, rather than trying to retrofit a garden around the structure, if you can work with your builder and your architect, assuming you've got one, but you're building company, um, then mm. they will, yeah, as, as Fiona just said, it'll be a lot more seamless. Yeah, and greater end result for sure. All right, Fiona, look, thank you very, very much for your time and wisdom this morning. We very much appreciate it. And we do encourage listeners to get along to the Walder stand uh, at the Perth Garden Festival coming up early May. And certainly there'll be more information about that as as the next weeks proceed. Uh, I think that's a really lovely... Uh, option for people just to put their toe in and get a bit of an idea of of what's involved. And and it's worth, if you're curious as well, Walder have got a fabulous website. It is literally walda.com. How easy is that? Exactly. But but, (laughs) uh, you can go onto that website and there are a list of all of the members who are all professional designers in the association and you can click on examples of their work. I did that yesterday. It was there fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So Feast might, for yeah. the eyes. Absolutely. You might not like everybody's style. So yeah. it, it pays to flick through. Browse. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, agree. Yeah. yeah so. um, if I can just take a second to mention that Walder does have partner members as well who support the designers, you know, people, yeah. the landscaping companies, the suppliers, um, and, uh, you know, service providers, nurseries. Um, yeah. and, and it's just, you know, it's a big family who all sort of pull together to, you know, help people enjoy their green spaces. Get their best Beautiful. outcome, absolutely. No, mm. no, we encourage people to go to that website. So it's walda.com.au. Let you get back to your weekend, Fiona, and thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. Go well. Cheers, love. Thank you. That was Fiona Thompson. Fiona's a garden designer and also a member of the Walder, which is Western Australian Landscape Designers Association. You're also on the committee of that uh, organisation as well, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, really great information there. And for people that are just have it in the back of the mind that they've always wanted to do this and just to take that next step and see what's what it entails. All right, let's head to Cooling Up. Joanne, thanks for waiting. That's all right. Thanks for taking my call. Welcome. Um, my question is regarding my passion fruit vine. Yep. It looks super healthy. It's been in about eighteen months, but it's never had any um, flowers or fruit on it. Right. Shall I persevere or start again? Well, 
I would suggest persevere. It does depend a little bit on the variety that it is. Uh, some do fruit quicker than others, but I have had a passion fruit vine that I let survive for about four years. I wasn't in love with it at the time, but that's how long it took before it started to fruit. So it might have been my poor management of it possibly, but if it's 18 months old, it's still got plenty of potential to flower and to fruit. Uh, sometimes plants will spend the first year or, or more really getting established and they'll pop their roots down and really get their their grounding established before they have that ability to then put on the the flower and the fruit to reproduce, which is really what fruiting is for a plant. So yeah. assuming the plant looks healthy, I would be inclined to give it a bit longer. Do you know what variety it is? It's the yellow one. Okay. Uh, is it a, a a sunshine special, or is it a you know one of the non-grafted species, or you're not sure, or Panama, Panama possibly? Yep. I'm not sure. I've got a I've got a thing. Like, I'll get it. Yeah, no, that's, I would suggest that, yeah, give it a bit longer um, and hopefully come spring, early spring, give it a really good feed, give it a bit of extra um, potassium, some potash, sulfate of potash in, in, you know, some blood and bone, and I would hope that come spring you'll see some flowers coming. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for your help. Good luck, good Joanne. Luck. Cheers for Thank that. You. Uh, Okay, and Maxine of Mandra phoned in. She has a lime tree with lots of limes and it's now sprouting new growth. Should the new growth be removed? And when do limes ripen? And can passion fruit vines be trimmed now? It has a few flowers. Oh, good questions all round. Generally yeah. speaking, the passion fruits, they, they say spring around, because oftentimes they'll crop in winter. It'll be a smaller this crop around This is the lime, lime tree. I yeah. was talking about the passion fruit, oh. starting at the end of her question. Oh, there, okay, yeah. Because <laughs> she was asking about the passion fruit. In, Sorry, love. That. Yeah. That's okay. So generally speaking, they may crop in July. So it's usually trying to catch that window between the winter crop and before they start putting on a summer crop. So usually it's around September yeah. and you trim them back by about a third normally. Uh, as far as your lime tree goes, citrus are a bit strange because they are an evergreen tree. You can kind of lightly trim them almost any time. I'm probably going to be shot down in flames for saying that, but um, the new growth, if it's like water shoots that are coming up, I like to kind of trim those off pretty quickly because they do take a bit of energy off Away the tree. Away from the fruit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so the... The traditional time to do it, I've gone drawn a blank. I'm sure John out there will be. Busily, let's let's yeah, get John to have that. a little look at that for um, us. And as far as how long they take to ripen, well, citrus can stay on the tree for months and months can. and months. Yeah. Absolutely, months yeah. to ripen, and it does depend on the variety of lime too. Okay. So yeah, so I would suggest uh, just check on them, check on the fruit, check on how firm it is, check on the size of it and if in doubt you can always pick one. Once they're ripe they will come off the tree quite easily mm. like a very light little twist on the and fruit they, and they'll come off. So yeah, I guess if you're trying to indication. trying to kind of tug them off, they're not ready. They're not yeah, ready. Definitely and you'll yeah. find that a few will drop too once they're coming right. Yeah okay. Look I hope that helps you Maxine. Thanks for answering that Linda. Okay we'll be back in a moment. 
Thanks for your company this morning. Linda Michener in the chair today for Faye Akaro. Linda is from Green Life Soil Co. And we're working her very hard. We've been cracking the whip since <laughs> 8 a.m. So thank you very much, young lady. Now, straight out to the lines. We're in Forestfield. We're talking about portulacas. So colourful. Rhonda, good morning. Good morning. Um, yes, we've had portulacas for the first time ever. And they flowered beautifully all through the heat. And now yeah. they've just sort of got leggy and sort of cotton bud fluffy ends and I'm wondering what we need to do now uh, well they are generally treated as an annual so you'll oh. find that they'll come to the end of their life as it starts to get cooler yeah. I oh. find I find though that they do self seed which is lovely yeah. so they'll start possibly coming up again in the springtime and they're, they're such a good plant to grow I like usually grab a couple of punnets in the spring yeah, so and tough. pop them around because they are so tough and so colourful yeah they're good little plants well, we've actually got them in pots, so should I sit them around the garden somewhere? I would. If they are going into seed with a little fluffy heads, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. then yeah, let them. You can either collect them, you can either mm -hmm. let them start to dry off, but you just don't want to lose all the seeds on the ground. You can pop them in a paper bag and you can plant them out again next year. Or if you do have the space to put, pop the pots around the garden, that's probably a, mm -hmm. a pretty easy way of going about it mm. and they'll mm. drop the seeds and with any luck you'll have some self-sown next year yes okay thank you very much you're welcome good thank on you thank cheers you. for that thanks Rhonda thank now would you like to win a pack of tree rings from tree rings <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds really crazy my apologies uh, look to describe them they are a compact fertilizer ring made from repurposed materials and they provide precision fertilizer placement optimizing the nutrition of trees and plants to enhance their growth and stimulate fruit or flowering you simply snap a tree ring in half place it the base of your plant or tree and you fertilized it for 12 months it breaks down naturally into the soil and improves the quality of the soil as it does so now you, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about tree rings you can go to treerings.com.au and uh, we have 20 tree rings up for grabs you would have to collect them and the address is in midland so it's Hayes midland sorry it's in hazelmere midland road hazelmere pardon me midland road Hazelmeal, to be exact, and you must be able to go and collect this prize. Now, as always, we need to stipulate that you must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize on the radio station in the last 28 days. If you'd like to win a pack of tree rings, 20 tree rings from tree rings, <laughs> give Bev a call now. Third caller through on 94841927. Must quote your membership number. And good luck. Okay. Where are we at? We can maybe do an email Absolutely. if that's all right with yeah, you. Yeah, no, I've got quite a few here. And let's, thanks, let's get thanks to John, our amazing researcher, who makes me look good <clears throat> because he's just popped in front of my nose a piece of paper that has some details about pruning lime trees. So yeah. the, the accepted time to prune them is really late winter, early spring. So before they start to get their spring flush of new buds and flowers. So you're not affecting the fruiting. So that's the, the accepted traditional time. Okay, late winter, early spring. Yes. Okay, perfect. And we've also received a photo from Lorraine, Lorraine who yes. was talking about her cactus with a huge big flower spike coming on it. Now, uh, it's some type of agave type yeah. cactus mm. it, uh, and it is sending up a flower spike. Now, I'm not sure that it's exactly the same as what is often called a century plant, but they are they're 
they're called that, it's definitely related to it because they do live for a long time uh, and they do flower once and unfortunately they turn their toes up after they, they flower. They do. Yeah, so you can expect this will probably do that. But usually it will send out little pups around the base. So you'll see small little mini cacti growing around the, the base and it looks like you've been quite diligent in trimming this one and the dead leaves off so just be aware that you're not kind of trimming those new growth off but if you see them forming you can carefully just literally snap those off the base of the parent plant and pop them in a pot or on the ground and they will form roots and grow. It's pretty easy care. You don't have to do much and no. that's how they reproduce. And that flower, that I call it a spike, yes. they get absolutely enormous, don't they? They do. They get very, very tall. So it'll be quite spectacular. You'll have a, for yeah, a long for time a while, yeah. and then it does die down. Yes. Yeah, and, and you will eventually lose him. That's just the, that's their the life way cycle. of the world. That's exactly. the life cycle. Yeah. Okay. And I'll get you to do one more if you may. Sure. So I've got a question here from Stephen from Kalamunda who's asking about uh, the soil to use in a wicking bed uh, and any other special tricks to consider. Well, this yes, there, there are some tricks, but it kind of comes down really to the size of the wicking bed and how large it is. If it's a decent size, you can use a good quality vegetable mix to fill the wicking bed as far as the soil section of it goes mm -hmm. because for those of you who aren't familiar with a wicking bed it is a like a closed system that has a reservoir down the bottom so yeah. the, the plants basically water bottom up it's like a, a, a self-watering pot on steroids yeah. basically yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah good quality veggie mix it can't sort of be super super heavy you do want a little bit of porosity in there uh, and yeah just be aware that with a wicking bed because it is a closed system that nutrients stay in the water so it's a great way to recycle nutrients but you just you can be a little heavy-handed with over fertilizing so just yeah a good quality soil and maybe fertilizing spring and autumn and, and not being too heavy-handed so you're not overdoing it overloading the nutrients and things Okay. Yeah. Thank you, you so much. Need some advice on soil. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're in Stirling, Barbara. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I absolutely love your show. Thank you very much for all the information. My issue is slaters. Um, what can we do with those in the my garden beds? I do have tried orange um, and lemon mm. in a uh, What else can I do? Sure. Look, the traps that you make out of the citrus peels do help. You do have to be fairly diligent in yeah. going out in the morning and collecting them. Things like um, potato peeling on a on an old plate or a, a you know, plastic lid or something will work as well. Anything kind of a bit moist and organic, they will be attracted to. They seem to really love straw mulches, so while they're fabulous for your veggie garden, and I certainly do advocate using them, sometimes that can lead to a bit of an explosion on slaters. Uh, another really good trick I've seen is to submerge little uh, cut down plastic containers so the slaters can come along at soil level and fall in with dairy. So I've seen uh, cream used and I've seen yogurt used oh, wow. and there's something about when it goes a bit on the turn that they seems like to really it. attract them. Mm. So it might also get your dog eating it but, <laughs> <laughs> but they do work very well. Uh, someone the other day even tried some uh, 
olive oil, I think it was, left over from cooking, and that worked really well. So there's something about those things that seem to attract them. And, but same thing, you do have to empty the traps out. And as it, an absolute last resort, if that is uh, not working for you, I have found that the iron-based snail pellets work very well. So they will, they will knock the slaters. Oh, good. Iron-based snail Yes. Pellets. So there are a couple of brands on the market. So they're actually low toxicity because they're not a poison. So they're not the blue and green ones. They're, they're just a brownie kind yeah. of colour, and there are yeah. a couple of brands on the market that uh, if you can lightly scatter them around, they will definitely knock you slaters. So as far as being dangerous to pets or wildlife, yes, they can still be an issue, but generally they need to eat a huge ratio per body weight for them to be adversely affected. So they're considered to be a lot safer than the traditional poison snail pellets. Oh, good. Well, your mine are raised garden beds, so I don't have an issue with animals. So awesome. That's good. So I tried. Thank you very much indeed. You're Thanks, welcome. Barbara. Thank Cheers for that. And as listeners would have heard, um, Barbara was um, obviously outside and there's a lot of wind uh, in the background, which makes it really hard for us to listen and obviously for you out there to listen. So if you do ring in on your mobile, um, it is great if you can go somewhere where it's just a little bit quieter. So get the best result uh, from your question so that we can we can hear you properly. Now, the winner for the tree rings is Margaret from Stoneville. Thank you, Margaret, for playing with us. Uh, we will connect you through to Tree Rings this week. And uh, I'll have another competition coming up after 9am. Back shortly. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. Coming up at 9am will be uh, the news headlines. Between now and then, we thought we'd answer a few more emails for you. Sure. So thank you to Rick from Albany who has asked us what is the best way to eliminate agapanthus. Yeah. He's saying he has a garden in Albany that is being overrun with many established mature plants and mm. hundreds of seedlings emerging. Yeah. So a lot of people love aggies. So, you know, I guess if you put a sign up in <laughs> on your virtual free They'll come and take them, absolutely. Often they will. Yeah. Um, they are very tough and mm. they can be quite quite uh, difficult to dig, dig out. Dig out, yes. Yeah. So the other option is possibly a bit of dynamite, but you know, <laughs> might not be so good for the building. Uh, and definitely to help in the future with seedlings emerging, go around and cut off the flower heads after they've finished flowering before they drop seeds, because if you do that, you're going to at least eliminate the new seedlings coming up. So, yeah, a bit of bit of elbow grease will dig out the mature plants, Absolutely. but you might even be lucky enough to get people to come and do that if, if they can take free plants. Yeah, exactly. Because they can also be cut down and, you know, they're, they're Split and so Absolutely. on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. Good all-rounders. Absolutely. And uh, to Brian, who has sent in, he's in Quindalup and he's on five acres, and he sent in a photo uh, of wasps slash hornets, which yeah. are prolific on trees and buildings. Now, I'm certainly no fay when it comes to insects, but to me, this looks like just paper wasps. And while they can certainly be annoying and you don't want them anywhere where you're going to be coming in contact with them, mm. I find if you leave them alone, they'll tend to leave, leave you, you alone. alone. And they are beneficial insects to have around. So 
if you have them near an entrance to a building and you are concerned, yeah. the best thing to do is, is go out at night because they're not active at night and knock them with fly spray and remove the nest. And it's a bit sad, but you will get uh, on top of them that way. Hmm. But if there's somewhere where you don't have to cross paths, my advice would be to leave, leave alone, be. leave Absolutely. well alone. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Absolutely. All right. And can we squeeze one more Ooh, in? Yes. Yeah. So there's a couple of caterpillar IDs. And again, yes. They're, they're probably good ones for Faye. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a Karen man who is in Currambine and she's got a picture of a beautiful butterfly. Sorry, can't help you ID that. But the little caterpillar that oh, you have, yeah. yeah, he is such a cutie. He is. And here's a hawk vine moth, a caterpillar. They're quite fat and they've got these really amazing false eyes on them. So yeah. that's why they look really, really They look cute. like little cartoon characters. Yes, yeah. So they do love grapevines, but they'll go for a lot of other plants in your garden as well. But they're very seasonal and they don't, they're not usually in, in huge numbers. Mm-hmm. So I would, again, just sort of say hello to him as you walk past. And you wouldn't worry me. about him at yeah. all. You yep. can't do too much damage. Awesome. Okay. Cool. And there's also uh, Silvana who has moved up to Newman from Darlington and has bought some plants that were in storage for four weeks. So they're looking a little sad. So, yeah, that's not ideal for them, if, especially if they were locked in a container or, mm, or something. Mm. Um, if there's dead foliage, which you see if you've removed, you're watering them every second day. I'd suggest that might even be too much. Definitely investigate how damp the soil is and maybe cut back on it, especially now that it's cooling down. You know, I don't think they'll need water, although you are in Newman. Newman. Oh, sorry. I was just yeah, thinking exactly. that, yeah. All right, well, maybe take that back. But still use your finger. That's the best yeah. moisture meter that you've yeah. got. And as far as those plants, the, the quarter lines and things, and I think there's a... Um, your ponytail doesn't look too bad. I think they'll recover. The quarter lines, jacinas, uh, I should say, actually, they will come back as well, I do believe. And you can cut them and they will often re-sprout from the stem. So if you've got one that the head, the growth point is completely uh, broken or rotted, mm. I'd suggest giving it a trim and you've got nothing to lose. It's a good no. chance it'll it'll branch out and grow That's more. a hard thing to do, isn't it, when you're relocating and trying to oh, take yes. some of your plants with you? Yes. Yeah, very, very trying. Okay. Uh, as promised, here's the 9 o'clock news. Showers today with a possible storm heading for a maximum of 30. Right now it's sitting on 25 degrees. And tomorrow it will be cloudy with a maximum of 28. And on Monday, a maximum of 29 with a shower or two. So we do have some showers forecast uh, throughout the remainder of this week, which is something we as gardening people very much look forward to. It's been a very hard summer. Oh, yeah. So nice to hear you say 28, 29 instead of 38, 39. (laughs) Oh, if it's got a two in front of it, I'm calm. Once it's it's got a three in front of it, I I become quite hysterical. (laughs) I've had trouble reading the weather reports over. Summer, <laughs> yeah, it's quite been quite depressing, and yet I know there's a lot of people out there that absolutely love those temperatures. And uh, not that I can understand you, I think there's something wrong <laughs> with knows. your thermostat, yeah. not mine. Yeah, no, so it's still very you know, our, our minimums are very high, yes. it's quite tropical, yes, it's been yeah. quite humid, yeah, very, very, very humid. Very muggy, so yes, you'll see some fungal issues. I was about to say, what does that mean? Yeah, well, high humidity usually coincides with some fungal problems. So do keep your eyes open for powdery mildew and black spot and things like that because it's just there's not a lot you can do. There are some preventative sprays and you can use your milk spray or your bicarb sprays, but it's seasonal. 
it, it'll happen. Yeah. yeah, and our gardens, we're really at the whim of the weather, aren't oh, we? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's only so much we can control. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people, that, and yourself included, and I'm sure from what you've said, the gardens are still struggling from to recover from the heat and the summer that we've had. Mm-hmm. So, of course, if it's a weaker plant, you're going to be more susceptible to yeah. diseases. So, yeah, just be on the lookout. Yeah, mm. and how much time do you get to spend in your own garden? Yeah, nowhere near enough, no, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you're a, you're a working girl. Yeah. And we yeah. Are, our time is limited, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of people are in that, that same boat, that's for sure. Mm. But uh, And that's where having a sensible garden, you know, areas that can be wild spaces that you don't have to bother terribly much with and keep yeah. the intensive gardening down to a lim- minimum mm. so you, you feel like you're not overwhelmed because there are some You days... can get overwhelmed, and I do feel that yep. some. Times, there yeah. are some days I'll step out the door thinking I'm it's going to go work hard. in the garden and then I go, I don't know I, where to start. Exactly. So <laughs> go back inside and yeah, yeah. So. Exactly. Now you're a veggie grower, aren't you? You yes, seem to enjoy yes. growing your vegetables. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, we, we tend to work a lot in our business with people mm. that are growing food, and, yeah. you know, organic soils and things. So we definitely, yeah, like to uh, dabble in that ourselves. By no means are we experts. We luck in some seasons and others we don't. So. Yeah. But I would really encourage people if you're wanting to have a grow at go at growing some veggies. Uh, autumn is the best time to get stuck yeah. in, because if you can get things growing over winter, they grow without your attention really. Assuming yeah. we have some rain throughout mm-hmm. the season, and uh, it's so much easier, and it brings a little bit of joy to your heart when in summer it can really be heartbreaking. It, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It is heartbreaking. Yeah. So get out there this weekend. That's the. Definitely. That's your advice. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, coming up shortly, we'll be chatting with Claire Palmer, uh, horticulturist. We're talking about gardening for the planet, and uh, Claire works part-time at the fabulous Xantheria Nursery. Meanwhile, what I'm going to do is give away something, I think, and we have to... Top Shelf Products by Agra and Aquaforce, compliments of Eva Ritchie and the Turf Growers Association of WA. These products work together. They're valued at $75. They aid uh, water retention and they're also wetting agents. And we cannot recommend the products absolutely highly enough for you. And you will have the best looking lawn and garden in your hood. If you would like to partake in winning this prize, you must be able to collect it from Green Acres Turf Group, which are on Henderson Road in Serpentine. So it is in Serpentine. So keep that in mind if you would like to play with us this morning and win this fabulous prize of Biagra and Aquaforce products from Turf Growers Association of WA with our theme being and spotlight on water saving in particular with what we've been through over these past summer months. Now here is your question. You must be a member of Curtain Radio of course and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. I must stipulate that as well. So here's the question and you can... uh, this is coming from our our uh, John John Glidden. What would you be making if you were shopping for pressure reducers and flow tricklers? What would you be making if you were shopping for pressure reducers and flow tricklers? Give Bev a call now on nine four eight four one nine two seven, and you could be uh, in the running for the. Aquaforce and Biagra products valued at $75, collecting them from Green Acres Turf Group, Henderson Road in Serpentine. Okay, as promised, we do have Claire Palmer online. How are you, Claire? Thanks for joining us. Oh, good morning, Ray and Linda. Hi. Um, 
to all your listeners out there. How have you enjoyed that little bit of rain? Oh, yeah. I've been listening to your uh, program <laughs> and, in, and enjoying all the banter because, yes, it is just such a welcome relief. I wanted more. Oh, yes. <laughs> more, more, more. Absolutely. I'm a greedy girl. Where I live uh, in Maidavale, like, I, I don't know why, but it just seemed to be missing us constantly. And I kept checking on the bomb, saying, oh, there's some coming, there's some coming. But, it goes yeah. around you? Yeah, it's frustrating it when that happens. It is. But my husband tells me that, don't worry, there's, like, there's lots coming. So I'm a little more relaxed. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, you and I actually caught up a couple of weeks ago. I spotted you at Xantharia Nursery. You were saying yeah, that's your dream, you, dream job. Yeah. 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 And it I can is. understand why. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing to work in a beautiful nursery, award-winning nursery that's such lovely. as that. But how do you not spend your paycheck there every week? Exactly. Ah, yes. That is actually a big problem, Linda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a big problem. My husband actually was doing the tax and he, he did ask me, uh, do you want to know how much money you've spent at Xanthria in the last year? And I said, well, I gave him a ballpark figure and he said triple it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guilty as charged, yeah. yeah. You know, my garden looks pretty good. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> and, it's and, and, uh And that makes us all happy, you know, happy happy wife, happy life. That's a, that's, this is very, very true. So what could mm. you tell us? We're looking at eucalypts to plant in our backyard. So obviously they can't be too large. What can you tell us? Ah. What would we what would we choose from? A lot of people are really scared to plant Absolutely. gum trees or you know, as they're known as yeah. eucalypts. So yeah, yeah like, like help dis- dispel the myths. There. <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely. So um I I think eucalypts are really undervalued in our in our gardenscapes. Add so much value to the habitat of our gardens as well. They have a lot of fruit, you know, the flowers they attract a lot of our, our native um, insects, like our, our beneficial native insects, like our bees and our little wasps. And they provide so much food and, uh, for birds, particularly like our parrots. I'm actually looking at a small little ghost gum, a eucalyptus vitrix right now. And it has been filled with green, uh, the ringneck parrots and galahs over the last few days. They've been up in there chattering away, which makes me so happy, eating the little seeds because they've flowered so beautifully this season. And, yes, they've pruned them for me, which has been so... They're such beautiful little creatures pruning my trees for me, uh, providing a little bit of a mess that I just quickly go and um, sweep up and chuck under another bush to break down as mulch. So... I think that um, there are so many, well, the eucalyptus species is actually incredibly diverse. I read anywhere between seven and 800 different species. I think there's about 400 different species of eucalyptus in Western Australia alone. Mm. So you can imagine the diversity in in um, in that family is extraordinary. And we have a lot of mallees in WA yeah. that only grows three to four metres. Perfect. You know, perfect. Oh, yeah. You can, uh, you can uh, prune them to shape. Uh, mm. Some of our eucalypts can be a little bit eccentric. They do what they want mm. and you can tackle, tackle them and try and get the shape you want out of them. But, you know, I think that one of the joys of, of 
you know, allowing them to be what they are and then yeah. working around them. Working with them. And so many of our eucalypts, oh my goodness, when they flower, they just are a big old wow, aren't they? I mean, many mm. of you would be driving around. Exactly. Perth, seeing that Eurythrochores or the Iliari gum, the, mm. the bright yellow flowers with those beautiful red um, caps yeah. and uh, with those white bark and they they really just bring a smile to you to your face Absolutely. and uh, it's, it's not only uh, us as humans that get the joy out of that but um, a lot of those flowers are extremely nectar rich particularly in the cooler part of the day in the evening uh, and that's why you'll see so many birds in them yeah. getting um you know, it's flowering through the hottest part of the year where there's maybe not so much available. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, it it really does provide an incredible service for all the little creatures that uh, that we live with in our urban uh, areas. And so, so dealing dealing with customers as well, you talk about people are now wanting to garden for the planet and they want to encourage birds and bees and create ideal habitat. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, Ray, it's just been insane. Like, What's uh, going on out there? <laughs> over the last few years, it is an absolute delight, I have yeah, to say. It's yeah. a privilege to get to talk to people every day about their passion for plants, gardening. And, you know, there is definitely a theme running through that I'm picking up with constantly mm. that people are more uh, seeing gardening as an act of... Um, of what they can do to help tackle the climate that we find ourselves in with climate change on our doorstep. And I just think um, there's, a, a, there's a passion to, to wanting to green the planet, provide mm. habitat for, for all the creatures that we, ha- that we live with, and build ecosystems from the soil up. And, you know, whereas when I started this gig, you know, eight, eight years ago, Many people were coming in really asking for um, what pet, what what poison, what, yes. what uh, can I do to yeah. hit this one, that one. Yeah. We're now, even within our industry, we're talking about integrated pest management, which mm. are telling people about the beneficial insects that will do this work for us. Um, and so people are far more interested in what is the softer approach how how can I encourage these little creatures? How can I encourage this biodiversity in our in our garden? Mm. Um, because they can do a lot of the work for us. We don't have to be out there controlling everything within an inch of its life. Exactly. Nature actually does provide so many solutions if we can just sort of hold back a little bit and um, be a bit more gentle in our approach to gardening. Yeah, no, I I love I love that advice. And so, what are some of the sort of misconceptions that gardeners make when they thinking about planting a native garden, for example? Given that you work in the native garden industry, <laughs> yes, we do hear quite a lot from very yeah. beautiful customers who a lot of them are, are because there's just been this new renaissance into I think people wanting to reconnect back with nature and understand nature more. There's a lot of newbies in our industry. Yes. Uh, sorry, newbies are coming, starting gardening. Yeah. I'm and sure do you think that's because of that the COVID factor or? I, I, well, when I reflect on it, I do think that COVID has definitely impacted um, on us. We've had more, t- well, more time at home for some of us. Yeah. And we've noticed things more. 
I think when we're looking at um, floods over in the eastern states and we're seeing um, that railway that was uh, flooded and then our shelves here in Western Australia being, um, you know, fairly empty, I think people are are really wanting to reconnect back to nature and um, understand more about um, the intricate and interconnected relationship of Um, creatures and plants and us yeah. and um, and wanting to create more resilience for their families and and their communities. So there's so many more people. I'm sure Linda's seen this in at Green Life Soil Company mm. um, and you've heard it on the radio. There's so many young people. There's so many... Well, it's, it's just a huge diversity of people who are wanting to uh, get their verge planted out and um, get their veggie patches up and running. And it's, it's wonderful to be part of that, to enable people to get success. It's, it's, an, it's absolutely gorgeous. But there are so many myths that come with native plants. And they are. <laughs> yeah, sorry, getting there. <laughs> I love your passion, Claire. It's, yes. I was sitting yeah. here like, almost with a tear in my eye because, yeah, very close to my heart, what you're saying. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, I, I am passionate about it. But one of those things is, you know, I had this beautiful lady who lost so many plants yesterday on a verge, and she really was quite devastated. And, you know, when I started talking to her, I realised, you know, she really did think that native plants, you know, don't need to be watered a lot. I knew you were going to say that. Mm. Yeah, it is a common one, mm. and we hear it a lot. Yes. And I still wonder how that, that myth perpetuates. But, you know, although that... In, you know, in a wild native plants have adapted to grow in low nutrient soils in WA, and they also have, you know, I think they start from a seed and they they're growing in the right exact right soil for themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't have germinated. And a lot of the times, they tap into mycorrhiza networks that you know we can't see to the eye, and those are what sustains them. But in an in a garden, in a garden bed, it's it's a a completely different scenario. And the way those plants have been grown in mixes, they've been well watered, they've been well fed. You can't, they're like really spoiled children. You can't just go and Whack. chuck them yeah. in your sandy mm. soil and mm. go through a hot summer and think, oh yeah, yeah, they're adapted. So watering is actually a really important part of of the equation in getting your plants established, yeah. getting those root systems out into the soil profile and down deeper um, into the soil, so then you know you don't have all this um, root at the surface. Yeah. So yeah, you have to water uh, native plants. Um, one of the things I talk about with my customers is the drought tolerant plants versus drought resistant plants. Yeah. You know, What's so the difference? Well, drought-tolerant plants can tolerate periods of time without water, mm. you know. So most of the plants we're suggesting for people who are looking for that drought, you know, looking for plants that are tough and can handle low water, they're not always drought-resistant, which are ones that like succulents that actually have, you know, adaptation to holding water. Yes. And even some of our, our wonderful mallies, they can hold water in their root systems. Um, you know, and they will survive on that for long periods. But a lot of our plants that we are saying are very hardy, they're drought tolerant, which mm. means they can tolerate short periods or without water, but then they will, 
really grow well and adapt well if they get a nice, you know, deep watering. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's, there are other things like, you know, they don't need to be fertilized, yeah. which, you know, I don't know about you, but the more questions you ask if you're a newbie and you go around to all the different nurseries and you talk to different people, you'll discover that you'll get a plethora of answers. Yes. It becomes very confusing. Mm. It does. And I think that everybody's coming from um, different perspectives. Yeah. Um, don't get disillusioned. Just understand that there's many different ways you can look at these. These um, Some people are looking long-term for ensuring that their plants have, you know, will really be on this planet for a long period of time. Other people are, are giving you more short-term advice. So mm. it's it's about trying to work out where you are in your journey, how much um, how much you can tolerate loss um, within your garden. You know mm. how much can you um, can you afford to lose, and just where you are in your gardening journey. So mm. um, and. I find as a horticulturalist, I have to work that all out in about five with about five questions, yeah. and then try and tailor my yeah. advice to, to, to their to their where they are, yeah. and hopefully they walk away with just something that empowers them to keep going with it because it can yeah. be disheartening oh. when you've been through a summer like we had had. Absolutely. So, Claire, you're mm. at Xantharia. What days are you there in case uh, some of our listeners would like to come and have a chat with you if that's okay? <laughs> oh, well, I work on a Wednesday and a Friday mm. and, then every, and then every now and then I work on, a well, two Saturdays a month. Okay. So, um, oh, I love chatting to chatting to our customers yeah. and trying to get the best plant for their position. Um, I compliment, uh, I love uh, Fiona that you just had on before. Fiona and I have been gardening buddies for years and oh, years and years. Okay. She went She went off and did uh, went to uni and did her landscape design course and I went to TAFE and did my horticultural uh, certificate. Oh, yeah. And um, we, we're really great friends. So, uh, I, I love it. I think uh, when we get together, I talk. I talk all about plants, habitat, other things. Fiona talks about ambience, atmosphere. Love it. I love the combine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah so I'd like I to love... join you both with a glass of wine. Yeah. Oh, yes, that would be fun. That would be very fun. Right? All right, love. We have to leave it there because, unfortunately, yeah. I do have to go to a break. Thank you for your Pleasure. wisdom. Really wonderful chatting to you again, and we must get you in the studio soon to talk further. Um, enjoy the rest of your weekend, love. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you. Okay, we'll be back shortly. It's 27 minutes after nine. You are tuned into Let's Talk Gardening and special guest in the studio with me this morning, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co., doing a stellar job. Now, we do have a winner of the pack, which is Biagra and Aquaforce of Water Retention Products from Turf Growers Association of WA. Mary from Greenwood, good on you. And the question was, what would you be making if you were shopping for pressure reducers and flow tricklers? And the answer is you would be making a drip irrigation system. Well done to you, Mary, and we will connect you through uh, during the week with... uh, 
the uh, company, Green Acres Turf Group of Henderson, so that you can go down and uh, collect your prize down there in Serpentine. Nice drive anyway. I yeah. see you're living in Greenwood, but hey, it doesn't matter. Well, I'd, I'd look at a few nurseries on the way. Make it a day. <laughs> Make a day yeah. of it, absolutely. All right, let's head to Osborne Park. Lorraine, good morning. Yes, I've already spoken to you about my big cactus this morning. Oh, yes. yeah. Yep. I, I, I'm just dying for it to come out. And uh, But what I want to do, I've taken a couple of photos and I've sent them in. It's up to you. I have most of my gardens in water pots and um, I've got a reticulation system going through them and just five minutes or ten minutes a week virtually. But I have um, cool drink bottles and on those cool drink bottles I put these spouts that I got from a magazine, Bright Life, and uh, you um, fill the bottles with water and then um, you put the spouts on, tip them upside down and they leak into your plants, slowly leaking the water in. And it's a fantastic thing, especially in summer, because uh, they dry out and I have these, uh, as I say, water bottles in the plants. So I was, if anybody was interested, um, they are in this magazine, Bright Slice. And also I sent you a photo of a couple of chairs, you know, they're all white chairs, and I painted them bright colours, and by gosh, it makes a difference to a garden. Yeah, we'll yeah. have a look at that, Lorraine, it yeah. It costs more to paint them than it did to buy. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but I bet yeah. you had a lovely time doing it. Those oh, projects are so you know, much fun. It is, but I just thought, you know, if um, you want to have a look and you see what I mean. And uh, anyway... Um, I love my garden. As I say, too, with that cacti, I'm going to be so disappointed when it goes. But anyway, we'll see if some of those pups grow like Exactly, awesome. exactly. All right, Ben. Thanks, lovely Thanks lady. for sharing. Thanks. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye. All right. Now we're heading to Mount Helena. Maureen, hi. Oh, hi. Um, I've got a problem with clivias. Um, I've got about oh, 50, I guess. Um, all of the nice ones are open outwards, upwards, rather than hanging down. Mm-hmm. And um, they've got this, um, I think it was a mealy bug, and this was about oh, 18 months, two years ago, that I first had it right down in the centre yeah. of the clivia. Now, I thought I'd eradicated them all with um, eco-oil, uh, but they are looking so sick at the moment mm. and the centres are dying out and um, mm. Not I don't good. know what to do. Help. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those little bugs, they can sometimes really be a nightmare. And the problem with some of those creatures is that the when you're using eco oil, it works to smother them. So they literally can't breathe through their skin. But what can happen is that adult will lay eggs under its body. So the adult will die and fall away, but then there's another generation coming out. So really it's just repeat treatments, which can be so hard when they're right down in the centre of the plant. I certainly yes. do. Well, I separated each individual sort of leaf and, yeah. and tried to squirt it down into the mm. middle, but um, I'm not getting any. Is that the best product to use, or do you have any other suggestions? Well, I think the, the eco oil is definitely a good one to use for mealybug. Um, they're... They're, it's probably one of the, the most eco-friendly ones because it, it works specifically on those. Um, you can get systemic insecticides, which means that it will be absorbed up into the plant tissue for any sap-sucking insect that, that chomps on it. So they 
they are stronger. They are probably more of a last resort kind of insecticide because oftentimes they're, they're not you know, great to use a systemic insecticide as it has more knock-on effects throughout the food chain. But if it's a severe and dire infestation, then you might want to look at something like that. So a systemic pesticide for sap suck, sap sucking insects. Another to- right. toaster. Right, okay. Mm. Um, and I guess you can't name any particular one. <laughs> Uh, well, I am certainly not up on a lot of them anyway. Um, the yeah, the okay. the names do change sometimes, but if you go into a, a, a garden centre, I mean, we do specialise in organic, so we don't carry that that mm, kind of product. Mm, so I mm, can't help mm. you. But but you know, one of your bigger garden centres and and ask exactly for that. Just tell them the problem of the insect, and you're after a systemic option. There will be a couple of different things you can do. Right, systemic. Okay, thanks for that. And I know, Maureen, I think this would be very laborious, but uh, Faye would say to jab some alcohol down into the you know, where the actual mealy bug is present right yeah. down into the... A bit of metho on like a cotton bud. Yeah. Yeah, it works yeah. well, but my yeah. goodness, it would If you've got 50 of them, it's... Mm. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be there for a long time. But, yes, uh... and they are the, the better of the... What I call the better of the clivias, the nicer ones with the wider leaf. Yeah, mm. I know what you're and talking about. they're absolutely about. beautiful when they're out and... Oh, it's so disappointing. There's a lot of new new ones coming up alongside... Um, of them, but even they're looking a bit on the yellow because I think they're being um, affected as well before they reach um, sort of maturity. They're only sort of an inch or two up, but they're looking sick as well that I really need to get something done yeah. quickly. Yeah, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Okay. Thanks, right. Maureen. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Cheers for that. Bye. And let's head down. We're going down the hill from Mount Helena to Mundaring. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Oh, good morning, girls. Good morning. morning. And Linda, thanks very much for coming in and imparting all your valuable information. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yes, oh, it thank is. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, you mentioned earlier this morning about sprays for powdery mildew, mm-hmm. like the milk spray and the carb soda. Yep. And I was just wondering, for everybody listening, could you please give us the recipe for the carb soda spray? Ah, uh, yes, I can't. It's not a lot. I think it's literally a couple of teaspoons. I, I'd have to just double-check that. It's, But it's not much. And with the milk spray, it's like one part of just regular full cream milk to nine parts water. And both of those treatments work because when they're sprayed onto the leaf surface, they change the pH of the leaf surface and make it less uh, appealing, less uh, hospitable to the fungal diseases. So that's how it works. And particularly the bicarb, obviously, because that that tends to be a little alkaline. Um, So it's changing that surface pH of the leaf that prevents it and it is a preventative so if you start finding that you've got little uh, little breakouts then start early on it and you probably will need to do it you know weekly the issue with anything like that that is organic uh, is that it, it just coats the leaf surface so in this weather where it's raining every day there's not a lot of point because if you do mm. it it's going to obviously wash down yeah, in the sure. next year downpour but once the weather the rain stops and you've got a, a a fine period of a few days then go out in the morning and give it a good squirt all over the leaf and also any really badly affected leaves you're better off just plucking them and, and getting rid of them popping them in the bin and because the, the spores will spread so yeah if you can minimize it and then hit what's there you should be able to get through this seasonal 
time of the fungal problems on your, some of your beloved plants. Now, yeah, that's very interesting um, because I've discovered some black mould on a pergola post mm-hmm. that's growing underneath an ivy plant. Yeah. And I was just wondering if I sprayed the pergola post with... It would help reduce the black mould? Well, it possibly would. I guess it depends because there's lots of different types of fungus out, fungi out there. So yeah. I'd probably give it a good scrub, a bit of, um, yeah, bit of detergent or a bit of... Uh, Sugar soap? Yes, definitely. Because if you, can, if you can remove most of it, it's the spores that are going to then be minimised. So, yeah, get out there and give it a scrub. And, and it would be an interesting experiment to see if either of those things work. Um, you buy carbon things will probably leave a bit of a white residue on the veranda post. So whether that's more or less sightly than the black, I'm not sure. But your so call would it be that. what two teaspoons of carbon a liter of water? I've got the recipe on our website, so um, you can go oh. to our website and have a look at the natural oh, pest right. sprays. But yeah, um, it's probably, green life. Yes, that's right. And it probably only is a couple of teaspoons. It's certainly nothing mad like a cup or anything like that. It's mm. just just enough to change the the you know make it probably ever so slightly milky. Um, yeah. in appearance and just a light spray over the, the surface of the plants and try and get the underside if you can as well. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck. Good on you, Margaret. Yeah. Eastern Good Hills on. represent this morning. Right? <laughs> yeah. <Well> done, <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, now we're heading to Maddington. Uh, talking about a Bakashi composting system. Hi, Trish. Yeah, hi. Um, I just wondered if you can put the juice on, on native plants. Um, like I don't see why not. No. I guess we'll hear if there's people out there that have got experience to the negative of that. But mm. yeah, because the juice yeah. from the bakashi is like full of lots of good microbes and things yeah. and, and good bugs. So yeah, mm. I, I would. I'd mm. put it on the soil. No, I wouldn't necessarily put it on the leaves, but on the soil around your plants. Yeah. On the soil around the plants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And dilute yeah. it down, I think, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Don't necessarily yeah, use it. Uh, meat, uh, yeah, it's one in 100. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's quite uh, dilute. Mm. What do you call it? What do you call it? A watering can. Mm. A watering can, you put 90 mils in yeah, sure. um, nine litres. Nine litres, yeah. okay. Yeah. 90 mils yeah. isn't much, yeah. is it? Not, not at all. No, mm. it's not. Yeah, it depends how how good your, your kabokashi is working. True. Yeah, mine's okay. doing really well. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, I couldn't find anything much online that said anything about it, so I didn't really want to kill my grevilleas. Oh, I hope I, oh, I'm, I'm running. <laughs> we, yeah. no, we can't see any reason. Why not? Yeah. Mm. yeah. And also, do you know if there's any rainbow eucalyptus that grow around this area? Um, I know that the lady before was talking about eucalyptus, but the rainbow eucalyptus have got such beautiful trunks. It does. I don't think they're WA natives, but they may grow here. Xanthoria would be the people to talk to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your show. Thank Thank you. you. Cheers for that. All right. And let's see. Can we squeeze in one more? Yes, we shall. We're going to Naranda. We're talking about mealybugs. Lou, hi. Hi. Um... I've heard of um, you talking about mealybugs. Yes. And um, we found that sometimes they get down into the roots, so it's uh, Mm -hmm. a bit hard to spray them down there. Mm. Um, Dad used to get them in orchids sometimes, and uh, Mm. we'd pull the orchid out and wash it down and dab them all with 
alcohol. Mm. Yes, that that will definitely uh, get rid of them because yeah, they can get into yeah. plant roots and um, again, a systemic insecticide will will help with that because yeah. it's it's absorbed into all of yeah. the plant tissue. Mm. Uh, and the other thing, if you're looking at trying a slightly softer approach, would be to look at a neem oil drench because that may help too. Yeah, very or good. Drench, yeah. Mm. I, Hadn't thought of that. Mm. But, uh, mm. That's a good idea. I just thought I'd bring up and mention that they do get down into the soil. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she might have that problem with her clovia. Sounds so. like it. Thank you for that, Lou. We there appreciate you sharing. There is one other thing. Mm-hmm. I heard a comment about the rainbow eucalypt. Yeah. Yes. I believe it's a native of Hawaii. Oh, there you go. Interesting. I was reading something about it uh, some months ago. Ah, oh, you're a clever man, Lou. Thank you. Um, I browse on the internet at all odd things. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Go down many rabbit holes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Anyway, um, I enjoy your show and uh, all the best. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you take care. Enjoy Thanks, this rain. Thank you, Lou. Cheers for that. All right, we do have to have a short break. When we return, we are chatting with Talia in Hillary's. Oh, we're talking about a rat oh, problem. Gosh. Here we go. <laughs> about 20 minutes of Let's Talk Gardening left and then Jim Crinan, I had to think then, <laughs> who's on next? Jim Crinan will be with you with the classic 70s. Now, while I've got the chance, uh, I'd like to give away a $75 gift voucher, compliments of Kerry from Bigger Trees up there in Pickering Brook. You must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. We have a question for you now. Bigger Trees have been donating a weekly prize now for a very long time and our listeners have enjoyed going up there and having a splurge and telling us all about what they've come away with. It's a ever-evolving nursery with new stock arriving all of the time and the range is massive and there's so much to choose from new deliveries this week for example proteas euphorbias bohinias cycads and many hibiscus varieties you can see more at biggertrees.com.au and they've got a fabulous facebook page too now here's your question and the number is 94841927 and of course john does like to make these hardy things you have to work to earn your 75 dollar <laughs> voucher where did this plant come from originally it's called duranta erecta better known as Geisha Girl. It's where did the plant originally come from? Duranta erecta, better known as Geisha Girl. Okay, we're going back out to the lines. We are in Hillary's. Good morning, Talia. Good morning, ladies. How's it going? um, Well, it'd be good if I could get rid of the damn rat out of the orange tree. Yeah. (laughs) They've also got to, they come up to the dog bag. We've got a huge big dog bag. bag of food they've chewed holes in that mm-hmm. they take the oranges off the tree and they leave like a little trail for us to to you know they must stop and have an eat and stop and have an eat mm. so we found them but we don't know how to get rid of them because we have two dogs mm. oh look it's such I, a hard 
Yeah, mm. I was going to say, if I had an easy, environmental, environmentally friendly and effective way to kill rats, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be on a, a yacht in the uh, Mediterranean right now, quite mm. frankly. Mm. So mm. They, they have been such a big problem this year really for people. Really huge. Yeah, a yeah. big, big problem. Um, and, you know, there are lots of schools of thought because rats are very clever. Mm. So they can be really difficult to trap. Mm. Um, yeah. I would suggest it's usually a combination yep. of methods that will work. You can buy all sorts of fancy electronic traps and repellers and you can make your own. Like there's a thousand and one different YouTube videos on how to make mm. make rat traps and different uh methodology for attracting them with various you know attractants and baits and things that they they don't like like they're supposed to be repelled by strong strongly scented oils like peppermint and I've heard people say toothpaste mm. um, but you know the other option then is to go down the baiting the baiting road which is an issue yeah. if you do have pets and also people are very conscious of the fact that secondary poisoning is a big problem yeah yeah, yeah. that's so, my concern mm. exactly so if you do end up going down that road there are some baits out there now which are better they're not perfect no. but they're better for secondary poisoning as far as if something comes along and eats the rat they're unlikely to be poisoned mm. themselves um, but, yeah, I wish I could offer you a simple solution, I, I suppose. I would start by putting the dog food in like a metal can, something that they can't yes. chew through, because anything yep. like that that you can do to protect their food, you know, keep them away from what they're trying to do. With regards to mm. your trees, I have seen people fashion like like all they use on the ship's ropes, you know, something that the rats the can't. Yeah, some kind of collar. Yeah. You, can, you can try that. It, it will help. And usually it's it's a case of discouraging them and making it more difficult for them to find food in your yard. Um, and, yeah, and then Yeah, unfortunately they'll... we've got a super 66 fence mm -hmm. right near the orange tree. Yep. And so it can just run along the fence and jump into the tree. Yes, you can right. get a product right. that goes along the top of the fence line that makes it very difficult for creatures like animal, oh. you know, rats to to run along. There is there is products out there, and possibly then you oh, could okay. use something like your oil, your strongly scented oils, like rubbing it along the top of this the the, right. the capping mm. on your fence. It may discourage them. It depends, I guess, how, yeah, someone... how desperate and hungry they are. Yeah, well, I don't think they're hungry. They're eating their full. Mm. <laughs> but um, they, we only noticed them after the council had cleaned the um, drains and, and mm -hmm. things like that. We've got a, a park across the road and it's got one of those big drains in it. Mm -hmm. They came along with their truck that sucks all the rubbish out. And, of course, we think they've run... The lady next door has got them as well. So, um, yeah, we just wonder. I mean, we, we're very mindful of, of we have birds come down to the bird bath and, of course, the two dogs. And they, I mean, they would eat anything. <laughs> so, is there anything, um, could, would someone from the ag department perhaps have any ideas? Uh, they would have some information, I'm sure. You could actually try your council because they, they may have the environmental officers from the, the council, mm. especially if you think yeah. that since the, the problem's worse since they've come along and cleaned out the drains, yeah. uh, it might yeah. be worth giving them a call. And seeing uh, what they can yeah. offer. Mm. And best okay, of luck. Then. If you find a solution, let us know. Share it. Yes, thank I you. Thank you. Cheers Bye. for that. All right. And we're heading to Serpentine. Sandy, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, with the rats, why don't they just put rat traps out? 
because <laughs> um, they've got dogs. Yeah. Yeah, but no, the um the the little cage ones where they the just traps. go in. Yeah, yeah, well, well, yeah. Yeah, I did advocate use of trapping. Traps. It's usually several different um methods that you use. I find with rats, they're so smart that you often will get like the youngsters, but often the breeders, the older mm. rats, they wouldn't go in the trap. Very tricky. <laughs> well, yeah, it has to be an exceptionally good bait or yeah. a lucky day. Yeah, it's definitely worth trying. There's Everything lots. is yep, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Now, my question is about. Robinia, we've um, bought a property which had two big ones out the front and the neighbours were saying that, you know, they were starting to get invasive, just taking over everywhere. So we said, not a problem, we'll just get rid of them. And since we chopped out and including got a machine in to rip out the roots, they are just coming up. Yep. It's like something from a horror story, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. using very tree poison, which I hate using. It, it knocks them off. You think, fantastic, I've killed, you know, another hundred. Mm. And later and you've got another 50 come up. Mm, I know. Whoever thought they were a good idea back in the 80s or Rubinias, 90s or whatever, yeah, exactly, yeah. if we could collectively hunt them down, I think we'd, we'd be doing them. humanity a service. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, yeah, this this is the issue. Like, they are lovely, they look attractive, but they just suck. Their root up. system oh, is shocking. Mm. And it sounds to me like you are actually doing about all you yeah. can do. Mm. But what you will be doing is every time you can take out a sucker as it comes up, you are weakening that root system and uh, try and get on them early because every time that plant is putting out leaves and is photosynthesizing, it's making more energy. So what you're trying to do is just rob that root system of energy every time it pops up a new sucker. And eventually it'll stop being 50, it'll be 30 and 20. And hopefully one day you'll be standing there saying that you've had a victory. Yeah, so you're doing all the right things. I know it's horrible using those poisons and things, but they are one of the really hardest ones to eradicate. So good luck. Okay, all right. Thank you. Thanks, Sandy. Bye. Okay, now we do have to go to a short break. Margaret of Swanview phoned in and she said mealybugs destroyed her cliviers, but they have started to reshoot. She's now very happy. And Annette from Kungamia had mealybug issues. She said she uses Lux Flakes, which is pure soap, and water in a spray bottle. She sprays one day, then washes it off the next day, and then she repeats in a couple of days' time. And you were saying yeah. that... That that Definitely. will also help. Yep, the the pure soap which Lux is yeah. has it's a potassium soap which is quite different from most of the commercial sort of soapy yeah. bars that yeah. we get. Has something in it the potassium. Um, I've read it, forgotten, mm, but mm. it will kill the bugs. So yes, and so pure soap, Lux flakes, etc. Good natural and the natural soap product that you buy yeah. is exactly that kind of formulation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Excellent. Back shortly. Thank you for your company this morning on Let's Talk Gardening. Uh, Karen of Queen's Park wanted to know when, yes, my garden will be on Garden Gurus this afternoon at 4.30. There will be, it's not about my garden. My garden is a platform, um, but the presenter will be Darren Senor, and he's talking about water-wise products. And there was a program a couple of weeks ago, and you could have a look at that on Nine Now. You can go back and and have a, another watch of Garden Gurus, and there's another Another segment coming up on episode nine. So, yeah, and uh, 
in advance, my garden has been was they did the filming in February, and my garden is not at its best after all of that heat. Did the puppy get a cameo? Uh, no, she oh. didn't. No, she didn't. But she should, shouldn't she? She should have her own TV appearance, Ella Jane. Yeah, she's 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 the love of our life. All right, we're heading to Leeming. Elaine, hi. Oh, hello. Uh, my name's Ellen Young. I live in Leeming. Yes. Uh, with the lady with the rat problem, I had a bad rat problem about four years ago and I wouldn't use any of the ordinary baits like the rat sack and so on, the bunning cell. Um, what happened um, eventually about four years ago, I had it for years before that, they were attacking figs that weren't even ripe. It was a fig tree and I've got rid of the fig tree now. I've just got to get ground down. But um, there's a little mark, you know. But anyway, I, I mentioned it to the Rent-A-Cule um, man when he came round to do service. And I said, oh, I've got rats, you know, da, da, da. And anyway, they put baits up in the ceiling. So if you had pets, there's no way a cat or a dog's going to uh, get the bait. Because um, he looked in the ceiling when he was doing the inspection. And he said, oh, he's got a whole pile of empty... Um, brown snail shells evidently they'd taken their dinner up to the ceiling and, and you know um, he put baits in there cost about 80 odd dollars they last but I've had two lots of baits put in and the second one just a few months ago he said oh it's still there from a year before so oh, wow. you don't have to worry about pets getting them um, anyway I haven't had a problem with rats since and I did have a cat up until about mid last year and in springtime I, I did actually put some racumen. They're the only ones that are considered safe by a wildlife authority and including for birds, yes. uh, cats, dogs, whatever, you know, who someone's going to eat uh, if it's a dead rat and it dies in the ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and I did actually eat them but I didn't have to worry because I'm not comfortable about using any rat baits. Racumen is the better one yeah. of mm -hmm. the two. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, if you have to use it. Yeah. But the one up in the ceiling, the only thing is it was rent to kill. It's been successful in me not having bites, but then it gone, I hope to plant some vegetables in a few months' time or sooner. Um, God knows what's going to happen to the seedlings then. Um, I don't know whether it's uh, um, animal, whether it's a second, uh, like Rackingham, where if a native animal, dog, cat, or any animal for that matter, bird, dog, cat. Yep. Um, eats it, whether they're going to have after effects. I'm not comfortable about using baits for animals. Mm. And I'm literally on the same with snail pellets. I won't. Mm. I'd rather, yeah. They're but, all in that um, same boat, ring, Elaine. Yeah, you can always ring Rantipil and sort of say, um, yeah. I. We need to move on, Elaine, love. Thank you very much yeah. for your information, love. We're running out of time. Thank you so yeah, much. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Now, just quickly, Donna bailing up, uh, talking about rats. And I've heard uh, Daryl Hardy talk about this as well. Um, tying a pipe along the top of the fence where the rats do run, you tie the bait inside the piping mm -hmm. and they go in there and he said it works a treat. Yeah, yep. And there's one lady who's emailed in with the same thing and she says that she uses as an attractant. She says the best thing she's ever used is avocado skins as yeah. an attractant. Yeah. Worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. Any, anything is worth a shot. Now, we do have a winner of the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. The question was, where did this plant come from originally? We were referring to the geisha girl. And, of course, the answer is Central America. Okay. Now, Roma from Yokine won the Bigger Trees voucher. Congratulations, Roma. You will have fun spending that. Big thanks to Kerry up there in Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook.
Phew, okay. <laughs> it's like that on a Saturday morning. Thank you so very much for everything. It's been uh, very, very busy and mm. pre-CA and, as you know, very broad section of uh, subjects. Is there anything you'd like to wrap up with? Well, no, uh, thank you. Thank you, Faye and Ray, for having me. <laughs> um, always, always, always good fun. Yeah. Okay, and just tell me, with uh, Green Life Soil Co., you do a magnificent uh, newsletter that I do love to read, and I've got a copy here as oh, well. If people want to go and access that information, how do they yep. find well, you? Well, if they go to greenlifesoil.com.au, there's a tab on the left-hand side that says newsletter so you can go in there and you can see all the past editions Mm. so you can see whether or not it is something that you think is worth your time it is free so it's definitely worth your money and you can click on uh, another little link in there to actually subscribe just put your email details in it comes out once a month we promise we don't spam you with anything else and we don't sell your details but we'll get that gardening info to your inbox and what's that what's that new little product that you are coming out with um dead insects oh yeah frass frass yeah insect poo and exoskeletons my gosh. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> we could do a whole show on that. Well, I'd basically. love to talk about it further, but you can read about that on yeah, in your newsletter. Yeah. That's that's very exciting. Great little recycled thing. Uh, yeah. So many good things about it. So, yeah, yes, yeah. read up. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very, very much. And thanking Bev Daring and John Glidden. My gardenism for the morning is the trees are about to show us how lovely it is to let things go. Jim Crine is next with the classic 70s and it's Brendan T with Born in Boots from 12 noon. Great morning. Thank you for your company. Enjoy this rain and happy gardening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.